Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Brutes, where we tell the stories behind your favorite beer. This is Sound Guy Ryan, and joining me, as always, is just Matt. Yeah, and sometimes it's not just only me. Sometimes I'm not here. Sometimes it's just Erica. Sometimes it's just Erica. Has it, it ever just been Ryan? Um, Maybe once. Maybe once. I think it was once when I fucked something up and I had to do it by myself. Brutal. Yeah. Well, Erica is working at the hobby shop right now, which... It's really hot out, so I know that they're well AC'd there. Yeah. But, um, yeah, we survived uh, Hurricane Henry. It was something. It was, it was kind of, like, boring. It was very boring. At I least mean, here. Yeah, it was crazy. I, uh, it's funny. On Sunday morning when Henry was about to arrive in the area, I made two stops. I went up to the city in Seabrook. Yeah, that's a good choice. Yeah, I got some, I like that. I got some beers. And uh, then I went to... Uh, Market basket. Market basket, kid. That's right. And I went, I needed bread, which like everyone's like, oh, and it's a hurricane or a snowstorm. It's like, get the bread get and milk. Bread, milk, and eggs. And like, I just legitimately needed bread. I waited like an idiot. <laughs> um, but I got some um, night shift over at uh, the city. The city. Yeah. Yeah. That was like what just caught my eye. And I was like, oh, I'll, I'll drink this. Yeah. No, they usually have a pretty good Massachusetts beer selection. Yeah. Um, that and of course New Hampshire. Yeah, and I got shilling. Yeah, they have a killer shilling selection. So if you guys like shilling and it's hard to find where you are, at least like a decent selection of it, the city in Seabrook has a stellar shilling collection alongside with the resilience project that they do. Yep. Um, there's a very large variety of both of them. Yeah. And, um, I mean, other than that, like I didn't do too much on Friday. I went to Sylvaticus. Uh, which was funny because you went on Thursday night. I did go on and Thursday Isaiah night. and crew were just like, we saw Ryan last night, but we haven't seen you and Ryan together. And I was like, you saw us last Sunday, you goons. But uh, yeah, I went there and I went Beowulf. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, I got Sacred Cod at Beowulf, which was like oh. so good. Let me tell you, Sacred Cod, not beer related, but it is beer related because he goes to a lot of breweries. Yeah. He goes to Sylvaticus a lot. Newburyport. Newburyport, Beowulf, um, True North. Yep. And his food especially like his haddock sandwich yeah is out of this world i got the the tacos yeah the tacos are also really yeah good. you know what i like about the tacos and, and this is completely not on topic but like i was able to pair it with multiple beers so it's like i had two tacos so i was like oh i did the at bear wolf i did it with the hefeweizen and then i did it with their ipa mm-hmm. so good yeah so yeah, I mean, it, yeah, his food goes really well with beer. Yeah. Um, and again, his food is just phenomenal. I'm not just saying that because we sell him this fish, but I'm saying that because it's That's just, he, he's a great guy. Yeah. Um, I've never met anyone as Hard nice. Worker. As, he's, oh my God, he busts his ass. Like he hustles yeah. when he's like balls to the walls. The guy just, he doesn't complain. He just goes because he loves what he does, you know? Yeah. And that's really awesome to see. Yeah. That's, and that's the same with like a lot of the breweries that we go to. All these breweries are hustling and, and really honestly like producing some world-class beer. Um, our friends over at Turtle Swamp, who we have this week, are no exception to that. They are making some world-class beer. They also have um, a wonderful location located in Jamaica Plain. Um, and we were lucky to sit down with Nick a couple weeks ago and kind of get their story. Um, I thought it was fascinating to find out that Jamaica Plain once held a number of breweries. I want to say it was over 200. You know, I don't know about that number, but that sounds right. I should know because I like listened to the episode and edited yeah, yeah. it, yeah. but I want to remember him saying somewhere around 200, but listen to the episode. But I remember we were doing some like quick math and it was like crazy. Yeah, it was crazy. Like it was 
I don't know, like two to four breweries, like each block or something. It yeah. was crazy. And uh, it's just cool to hear their story and see what they're all about. Um, so, yeah, they are located in Jamaica Plain. We're going to have more information in the episode. So we do encourage our listeners to listen all the way through, especially to the outro, because Ryan has an amazing announcement. I might. He might not. I probably don't. But, but hey, listen. Yeah. Um, but other than that, uh, come and support us on all our major social media things, such as Facebook, Twitter, Patreon, and you can go to Patreon uh, with the uh, forward slash. Yeah, it's forward slash Brutes Podcast. That's right. And we have different tiered memberships. So we have like a $5 one, which is like buy us a beer, which is kind of awesome. It helps support us as the podcast. Uh you know, you don't really get anything out of that. But if you do subscribe, I'll probably send you a sticker. And we have a new sticker in the works, which a lot of people on Instagram want. Yeah. And, you know, the, the bias, the beer one is probably the easiest one. You know, $5 isn't really a whole lot. Just think of it as a coffee. You yeah. know, um, it's it's just coffee money for us just to help do Gas what money we a little do. Bit, yeah. Exactly. You know, we do a lot of traveling and we always pay out of our own pockets and it'd be nice to kind of not not. Yeah. yeah. And to keep giving what you guys want. And we have some amazing people who have also signed up for our higher tier. So we have a $25 tier and we have a $15 tier, which are, you know, the $15 one is, is smaller items. You know, your coasters from breweries, stickers, maybe some pins. And the higher ones are maybe a T-shirt or a hat that we've accumulated along our travels. Yeah. Yeah. So that's enough of a plug for us. Ryan, why don't we just go to the episode? I would love to. All right. Well, we're going to crack open a beer and listen to the episode. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> All right, so we are in the heart of Jamaica Plain. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, I love Jamaica Plain. Good restaurants. And I did a, a little bit of research about Jamaica Plain, and I'm sure we can get into that. But at one point, there was a number of breweries pre-prohibition. At least 27, I think. And wow. how big is Jamaica Plain? Um, two and a half square miles, maybe. Yeah, so Jeez. if you divide that by two, there was like per mile, there's 13 breweries and we we brag that like (laughs) in our area like we can go to like 20 breweries in like a 50 miles radius yeah (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. but in jamaica plain you could like walk to swalk swalk you could swalk to a bunch of them i (laughs) most of the uh housing was built to house workers for these breweries um yeah now there's only two there's us and there's the sam adams brewery at what used to be the Haffenreffer Brewery Complex. Um, And you have to remember all of these breweries were, in fact, campuses at one point that, unlike modern craft breweries that can order all of their parts in, or all their materials in, they would get raw barley directly from local farmers, and they would malt it themselves. And then they would have a coal plant to fire everything. And then they would have a shipping area, which would be a stables with horses. Like, these were huge, just campuses of buildings. Nick, I think we're going to have to do another podcast just with the history of beer and and JP. Uh, I have looked into this at least a little bit um, because, like, the name of this brewery at all, Turtle Swamp, has a lot to do with the fact that there were breweries here. Um, Becca, our taproom manager, is, in fact, uh, a professional archivist and has done a lot of historical work as well, helping out, finding out more information about Jamaica Plain and just the history of beer in Boston in general. Um, Nice. It's a storied history. Say what? It's a storied history for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, even like the name Turtle Swamp. Turtle Swamp is a 
it's a long story, but uh, it, it is a possible name for what this area used to be. The area is where we are sitting right now was a lowland. It was a marshy swampland. It was uh, the area where the uh, Stony Brook flew, flowed off of Turtle Pond, which was a kind of a highland area in the uh, Roslindale, uh, West Roxbury area. And the Stony Brook flowed out of those highlands. Um, the rock is Roxbury pudding stone. It's non-permeable, so the water would have flowed very quickly down into this lowland. And swamps, as we now know, are perfect natural water filters that they, uh, the water flowing out of swamps tends to be very clean because it has lots of time for the particulate and muck to settle and the, the biological filter. And then from basically this point down to what is now uh, the Charles River and the, the Back Bay Fins, um, there were 26 breweries because they were all using all of this fresh water. This was the largest fresh water shed in the uh, Boston area that wasn't the Charles, which at the time was saltwater estuary that yeah. you would have saltwater flood in, saltwater flood out. Um, so yeah, you had uh, Haffenreffer was one of the breweries, the Highland Brewing Company. Um, the building for the Highland Brewing Company is still there. It is a uh, condos right by the Orange Line. Oh. Uh, the Franklin Brewery is up on Washington Street. It's a really tall building. You can see just about a mile and a half, or a mile uh, towards downtown. Uh, the original Boston Beer Company, Sam Adams' actual company, Boston Beer Company, the original one is where Roxbury Community College is now. Uh, there was a brewery. A uh, quarter mile from here, these benches that we're sitting on, these were the floor joists for the second floor of that brewery. Uh -huh. um, cool, cool. It's kind of, yeah, they're just, they were just everywhere. And they were anywhere from relatively small industrial breweries to relatively large industrial breweries. And that's what Jamaica Plain was really based on, was this kind of brewing industry. Um, and then... I think they started having a decline before Prohibition, but obviously Prohibition killed pretty much all of them off. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So we're definitely going to have to do another cool. interview just to listen to That was fascinating. <laughs> um, so as our listeners may know now, we are Turtle Swamp Brewing Company yes. in Jamaica Plain. <laughs> um, and we're here with Nick. Thanks for doing this this oh, morning. No problem. Thanks for coming. Uh, so we start all our episodes by asking our guests their mem first memory of beer in the role at the brewery. Um, first memory of beer is actually my first memory as a person of me being somewhere between a year and a year and a half old and sitting on my grandfather's lap, lap and him offering me a shot glass of probably what was um, Miller Lite. Nice. nice. And I Best remember enjoying memory. it. Remember oh, enjoying and you enjoyed it. it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and your role at the brewery. Uh, I am one of the two owners, uh, one of the two founders, and I am also head of operations, head of brewing, a brewer, the guy who fixes all the stuff that breaks all the time. Um, yeah, that sounds about right. Typical, yeah. typical brewing job. You kind of have a storied history in brewing. You've worked at various levels of, of breweries, four different ones. Four different breweries. Yeah. Um, I've been uh, a professional brewer for 11 years. I started at the St. Arnold Brewing Company in Houston, Texas. Yep. I grew up, actually, myself and John, the other owner, are both native Texans. Oh, okay. Um, and we both live in Massachusetts by choice and prefer it to Texas now. Um, so... Take that as you will. Uh, <laughs> but I started at St. Arnold Brewing in Houston, Texas. I did that for a couple of years. I then moved to New York City. Um, to I'd been doing long distance with uh, the woman who's now my wife, and she lived in New York. So I moved to New York, and I worked at the Chelsea Brewing Company, which at the time was in Chelsea, uh, on the Chelsea Piers, and was about three years too early for that area really blowing up into kind of the big like residential area yeah. that it is now. And it was a little brew pub on the Hudson River. It was on a pier on the Hudson River. Um, and then after a couple of years of that, when I wasn't really getting paid because there was no money coming into the brewery, I moved to Boston. My wife is originally from Boston, worked for Harpoon for about three and a half years. 
And uh, then my wife and I decided that we wanted to change jobs, but not careers. And, um, but also that we were in a unique part of our life. We had no kids, our parents were healthy, we had no pets. Uh, so we took a year off and we traveled. And nice. during that travel, our initial goal was actually to end up in Seattle. Um, the other owner, John, his brother owns a very large brewery in Seattle, the Fremont Brewing Company. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, wow. Uh, and the goal, I knew John because he's my neighbor, and the goal was to use that leverage to get a job working in Seattle and move out west for a little while. And what happened instead is during our travels, we started with a cross-country bicycle trip. We biked oh, from geez. here to Seattle. Uh, that I was talking with John periodically because we, we had kind of gotten drunk the night before we left and talked about, oh, we should start a brewery in Jamaica Plain. It's going to be the greatest thing ever. And um, then I talked with him periodically and sort of hatched this idea for uh, starting a brewery in Jamaica Plain. And as we continued to travel, we got to Seattle and um, his brother was super busy. They just were building out a new brewery space. And so I didn't even meet him on that trip. Uh, so we just kind of kept, as we traveled around the world, we kind of kept talking with John from various time zones around the world and started a brewery. And the original working title was, because John and I are not very good at names sometimes, was going to be the Drunken Collaborators Brewing Company <laughs> and Taproom. That name's probably taken already yeah. now. Um, <laughs> and my wife, to her eternal credit, looked at me and said... Um, Am I allowed to swear, by the way? Yes. Okay, please do. That's a really fucking stupid name. Uh, You should do something different. And so she suggested Turtle Swamp, actually. And the story behind Turtle Swamp is that my wife and I live in the neighborhood, and um, we went to a community meeting for our community garden at Doyle's, which is no longer existent. It went out of business before the pandemic. Um, And there was a stack of maps at Doyle's, and we were looking through this stack with a friend. And there was one that showed this area. It was an old like building map when you know half the stuff wasn't here. And it shows the area being called Turtle Swamp. And this was like five, six years ago. And we thought that's kind of a cool name for the area because right now it's called Stony Brook, but it's nowhere close to the Stony Brook T-stop. Doesn't make any sense. We should change the name of the neighborhood. <laughs> and we forgot about it. And then when we started the brewery, she's like, oh, you should call the brewery Turtle Swamp because that's, you know, people like turtles yeah. and it's sort of historical. And we did that. And now we've been unable to find that map anywhere. We've oh, looked through archives. We've of talked to people who've had it. Um, Becca, who is an archivist, has tried finding it, and there's no record. So most people think I made it up. Mandela effect. It's the Mandela effect. Yeah, something like that. There's only three of us. There's not really enough people to have that Mandela effect going on, but, you know, who knows. Uh, Doyle's is no longer there. There's some rumor that, you know, one of the Burke brothers who owned Doyle's actually had a bunch of old maps of the area. Um, But he, every time I talk to him, he is you know, old school Boston Irish. And he really just wanted to talk about like Ireland and he wouldn't want to talk about old JP maps. And so I could never actually get him to show me his stash of maps. Well, if you're listening, show us the stash of maps. Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, I think that's a good time to segue into a word from our sponsors while we look for some maps. Exactly. Take it away, sound guy. Did you know that your favorite Massachusetts breweries use hops from a local family-owned hop farm right here in Massachusetts? Our friends over at Four Star Farms are there for you whether you're a commercial brewery or a small batch home brewer. Make sure to head over to their website today and get your hands on some of the best and freshest hops available locally. Cheers! Cheers. 
At our local homebrew shop, Beer and Wine Hobby, you can get everything you need to make beer, wine, cider, cheese, and more. Not sure where to start? They have knowledgeable staff there to help. Beer and Wine Hobby is family-owned and located in Danvers, Massachusetts. Visit their website, beer-wine.com, and use our promo code BRUITS for 10% off your online order today. Shirts on Tap is the box subscription service for craft beer lovers. Each month, Shirts on Tap partners up with seven different breweries from across the country and collaborates on a sweet custom shirt design. We've been teamed up with Shirts on Tap since the inception of the podcast and are proud to announce a new promo code for all of our listeners. To get your first shirt for $5 off, go to the link in our description below and use the promo code. And remember, drink better beer, wear better shirts. I want to backtrack a little bit. I'm always curious how people get into beer. Um, obviously, that shot of Miller High Life, mm-hmm. was that a formative moment for you that you're like, I'm going to work in beer? Or No, I mean, I was one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. I just want, hey, you know, you, you know, you know. Big dreams, yeah. that one, you know. Child labor in the 1800s, <laughs> you wouldn't be hired until like four to shovel coal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, what was the original plan for you, and, and how did you find beer? Um, sheer dumb luck, to be completely honest. Um I went to school in Houston. Um, so St. Arnold was is the oldest and largest craft brewery in Texas, and it's based out of Houston. And, you know, I was in college. I drank beer. The uh, owner of St. Arnold is an alumna, alumnus, alumni of uh, my university, which is Rice University in Houston. And so there was often kegs of that floating around, as are in, uh, you know, college. And this was in the, the late 90s, early 2000s, so craft beer wasn't what it is now. What it is now. Which is weird. That was only 20 years ago, but now it's like a huge <laughs> thing. But you would occasionally come to a party and the fancy parties would have, you know, a keg of St. Arnold Amber or St. Arnold. They had a fancy lawnmower beer, which was a Kolsch. And so that's, you know, it was kind of in the background. And after I finished college, I came to Boston for a year and kind of hated it, actually. <laughs> I did a year with uh, Habitat for Humanity and AmeriCorps Vista Volunteer. And just did not really enjoy the city at all. So I left and went back to Houston. I think you have to be here for a couple of years to start enjoying it. Maybe. I mean, I did meet my wife. Uh, We didn't actually start dating for years after that. um, That's too funny. Yeah, but (laughs) that is also a story, story. but that's not a beer story. (laughs) Another Um, podcast. Yeah, yeah, let's have the all Nick podcast. No, don't. (laughs) But... I went back to Houston and I worked for a family friend who had sort of a furniture and art and craft and home decor store for a while and um, just kind of enjoyed it. It was in my early 20s, didn't make a lot of money, didn't really care. Um, And then a friend said, oh, the local brewery is hiring. And I went, oh, I like beer. That sounds great. And uh, I went in for this interview and it was probably the only time... I ever actually wore my clash ring from Rice because I wanted to be like, you're a Rice alumni, I'm a Rice alumni, you should give me a job. Yeah. And I, really, I don't think it made a huge difference. I think the biggest thing is that the owner really appreciated that I was a college graduate, particularly a Rice college graduate, who's willing to work for $22,000 a year and gave me a job as the guy who cleans up the brewery. So I was like sweeping and scrubbing floors and they taught me how to like scrub the outside of tanks and occasionally I would run a CIP and actually clean the tank. And I was good at it enough, I guess. And so within a few months, they had me actually like cleaning tanks. And a few months later, I was filtering beer. And then a few months later, they had me brewing. And it was uh, a four-person brew staff. 
um, producing quite a lar- large amount of beer, about 27,000 barrels a year. Yeah. And yeah, I did that for a couple of years. And then, but I had just started dating my wife right when I started that job. And she lived in New York and I lived in Houston. Um, plane tickets were really cheap at the time. You could get like a $200 round trip ticket from Houston to, to nice. LaGuardia direct. And I was always scheduling it really weirdly. We had a terrible work schedule. We worked four 12 hour days as the brewers and we'd either do the day shift, the 6 p.m. or 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. or the 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. and do these four 12 hour days a week. And I was always doing these weird things. Whenever I transition from the day shift to the night shift, I would leave work at 6 p.m. on Thursday, catch a seven o'clock flight. Not sleep. (laughs) Fly to New York. Spend Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night in New York and then catch a 9 a.m. flight back to, or, or sometimes even like a 2 or a 1 p.m. flight yeah. back to Houston, arrive at the airport, drive straight back to work yeah. at 5.45 and go immediately Why back. Not? So there were weeks you just didn't see your apartment or where you lived? Uh, pretty much, yeah. 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 So Sounds like my 20s. E- yeah, I get it. And even, you know, when you're working these four 12-hour shifts, like you would only be in your apartment to like pass out. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you cut your teeth there. Um mm-hmm. Was that when you were like, this is the career for me? Did you fall in love with beer? Um, maybe. I always liked beer. I mean, I liked the aspect of it is that I was working with my hands. Um, I could actually see I do X, Y, and Z, and at the end, product A comes out, and I yeah. know what's happening there. Um, and I was good at it. Um, you know, I wasn't great, but I was good. I often joke that I'm an okay brewer. I'm actually a really good forklift driver. So that's my <laughs> real goal in life is to just drive a forklift forever. Yes. Yeah. Um, but I was pretty good at the brewing aspect, and so it worked out. And then when I moved to New York, it was sort of a question of what would happen next? You know, like, do I find a job in brewing? And again, when I moved to New York in 2010, there were three breweries in the entire city of New York. That's mind-blowing. There was the Brooklyn Brewery. <laughs> yeah, I was yeah. Say, yeah. There was um, Chelsea Brewing Company and uh, Greenpoint Beer Works. And then the, there was like Heartland Brewing Company, which hadn't made their own beer for a while. Greenpoint made all of it. But there was, that was it. There was three breweries. Yeah. And I was moving up there, and I talked to the owner of St. Arnold. I'm like, hey, I'm moving to New York uh, to be with my girlfriend. And he's like, oh, you should email Garrett Oliver. I have his email address, and Garrett Oliver is still very much a luminary in the beer world, and but at the time was even more so because he was like the brewer of New York, yeah, the only one really when it came down to it. And I emailed him, and he said, "We're not hiring," and uh, but we're having a Master Brewers uh, Association of America's meeting for the New York area, uh, like next week. You should come. And I just bought a one one night ticket, flew up there. Went to this meeting, and it's just, it was a bunch of old dudes, you know, maybe like a dozen people at the Brooklyn, Brooklyn Brewery yeah. in Williamsburg. And uh, I stood up at one point after probably one too many beers, and I said, hi, my name's Nicholas. I live in Houston. I'm moving to New York. I need a job. And this guy walks up to me. <laughs> His name's Mark. And Mark said, hey, uh, the guy, the second brewer at Chelsea just left. We need to hire someone. Um, yeah. When are you going to be here? I said, two weeks. He said, great, come by in two weeks. That's awesome. Love it. Yeah. Um, and I went and I hung out with him for about a day. He had me take apart an entire manifold of just stainless pipes and quick necks and put it back together again. And then we got very, very drunk and he said, you're hired. <laughs> best interview That's ever. best interview ever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, and uh, Chelsea was fun. It was, I mean, like, 
I was in my mid-twenties and I wasn't really getting paid, but I got free food because of the brew pub and I got very drunk every day, but like there wasn't money to pay me or to even buy grain. So a lot of times I would just go in for a month and a half and do nothing but the New York Times crossword while very drunk. Um, and Fun. giant picture windows looking out at the Hudson River. And, yeah. um, and it was okay. You know, like, obviously can't do that forever. But it was kind of a, an interesting thing. For that time in, in your life, it was, yeah. like, this was great. And I actually <laughs> kept emailing. I had a friend who worked for the Brooklyn Brewery. Um, and I kept, he kept saying, oh, they're hiring. You should email them. You should hire. And so I'd email, hey, I hear you're hiring. Can I get a job there? And I was, oh, no, no, we're going to fill it with somebody else. Uh, they were trying to, like, they weren't hiring, like, entry-level positions or even, like, on the floor brewer positions, they were like trying to hire like head brewers and they were trying to get yeah. like people with names who'd made a name at a bigger yeah, brewery and come, to, come to Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah. They weren't looking for a guy like me. <laughs> um, and I tried for two years and then just, it wasn't gonna work anymore. Um, my wife really didn't like her job. Uh, obviously I wasn't getting paid, so that was kind of untenable in the long term. And then we moved back to Boston like two weeks after we moved. Brooklyn says, hey, we're hiring, would you like a job? <laughs> of course. Damn it. Yeah. <laughs> So, you know, um, but I ended up in Boston, worked for Harpoon for three and a half years, uh, just jumped right in. And, and then I guess that was 2012. It's a lot of Harpoon IPA you were brewing, I'm sure. That was a lot of Harpoon IPA. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Cool. And, and here we are now. Here we are now. <laughs> so Turtle Swamp, we kind of got the back history. Um, you and John, correct? Yes. Neighbors? Uh, we live half a block away from each other nice. about a three minute walk from the brewery that's pretty awesome yeah. <laughs> um and not you guys did not grow up in jp but it's kind of become your home now yeah um what's special about jp i know people who moved here when they were 18 and haven't left and they're 32 33 um why do people stay in jp what is it about the culture the 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 area um i mean there's a lot of things about JP uh, going for it. I, like my wife is from JP. She was born and raised in Jamaica Plain. And she never left. Uh, well, no, she came back. She yeah, 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 yeah. And <laughs> she really loves working. Or work, working. She actually works in JP. She's a, a public school teacher. Right. Um, but she loves living here. Um, and she realizes it's such a great place. And everyone's like, I'm living in my hometown. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a townie. And like, you're not a townie. It's okay. It's just, you know, like you are living in your hometown. And we go back to visit like my parents in my hometown. And I'm like, oh yeah, I don't want to live there. Yeah. Yeah. And I get what she means. But yeah, she grew up in JP and she loves it too. Like, you know, uh, the area is in Boston kind of great. Like the amount of green space alone is, was enough to live a lifetime here, you know, yeah. between the Arboretum and the and Franklin Park and even the Forest Hill Cemetery and the number of parks and playground and um the fact that the the only neighborhood really in boston where the t actually is convenient to pretty much the entire neighborhood and goes where you want it to go yeah yeah <laughs> yeah you know that's make plain <laughs> um you have uh you have history here that you have throughout boston obviously but it's not quite so much like here is this weird old house and graveyard next to a you know 40-story yeah. skyscraper. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you have these you know, 250, 300-year-old homes. Like, we live in a three-family, and the three-families are more than a century old now. And, like, they are historic nice. buildings, Yeah, we live there. That's cool. Um, yeah. And then, you know, the general vibe of JP is of a small town uh, in the middle of a big city. And yeah. so you have this neighborhood where you kind of know everybody within a city where you kind of know everybody because Boston's not that big anyway. Um, and it ends up being kind of like, you, you talk about like you have these weird enclaves of very liberal people, um, 
you know, or like very progressive liberal people in not very liberal progressive places like Austin in Texas sort of thing. What you have is Massachusetts being a pretty progressive, open, welcoming place, relatively speaking. Yeah. You know, I, obviously yeah. I, I'll get lambasted because that's not completely true, but relatively speaking compared to other places in this country. And then Boston itself, you kind of cluster that even more, and JP, you even cluster that a little bit tightly. Um, in addition to that, you have easy access to a lot of the neighborhoods around here. Like, you can go to Roxbury really easily. It's just up the road. Um, and you Rosendale. can... And Rosendale yeah. is pretty cool. Uh, you know, you can walk across the park, across Franklin Park, and you're in, um, you know, parts of Dorchester and Mattapan. And, you know, just like what ends up happening is JP has pretty good food, but then you have access to all that other good food. And then it's really easy to get into downtown for other good things going on. And, you know, like go to the symphony, go downtown. Like you just, it becomes a really nice place to live where you get a, like you get a town vibe or not like, like a large town vibe, but you know, cause it's not like, oh, we all have our ranch it houses. It seems like on a small town. Yeah. It has like the small town feel. Yeah. 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 Um, and ironically, J- Jamaica Plain was one of the few uh, neighborhoods in Boston that was never actually a small town to itself. Yeah. Right. We were, this was like the weird interstitial space between uh, Roxbury and West Roxbury, because West Roxbury was actually the town, and JP was like, eh, it was, well, it was either a like swamp. A village. <laughs> it was a swamp, and it was like the countryside where the rich people lived yeah. in like yeah. the 1700s. Um, and so when it was incorporated as part of West Roxbury into the city of Boston, like it doesn't have like a town center. Uh, yeah. You know, okay. like, yeah. you know, Roxbury has Nubian Square, and like West Roxbury has like the center street. Strip, which actually feels like a small town, where JP Center Street was actually just the place, the road that went from Roxbury to West Roxbury. <laughs> it yeah. was the kind of the Highland Road. It was the intermediate between the two. Well, I mean, before you had like Washington Street, which was built as a causeway through yeah. the swamp, before you had um, just even like the Jamaica Way, you, Center Street was the road that went directly from Nubian Square to actually to Dedham. Yeah. It's, that was just the Highland Road that didn't go through all the swamps. Yeah. Cool. Well, before we get into more beer questions, do we want to maybe uh, break for some amazing sponsors? I don't think I want to maybe. Ooh. I think I definitely. Yeah. Yes. All right, we'll do that. Take it away, sound guy, Ryan. Are you a solo artist, band, podcaster, or anyone else who needs recording services? Well, we got a place for you where your vision can become a reality. Welcome to Small Pond Studios, built by hand with heart and sweat equity by musicians for musicians. Go to smallpondstudios.io to reach out to get more information. And make sure you let them know that Brute sent you. Hey, Sound Guy Ryan here. Didn't know if you heard, but we're a part of the Hopped Up Network. There you'll find other informative podcasts about beer. So go ahead, follow them on social media, and visit them on their website, hoppedupnetwork.com, to learn more about the people, beer, and breweries from around the country. And until next time, thanks for listening. Cheers. All right, so you opened Memorial Day, Memorial Day weekend 2017. Give or take, yeah. Was the feeling that JP needed a local brewery? Was that why you chose in your backyard, or was it just like this was the space that you got? 
I operate a lot on sheer dumb luck. Um, okay. yeah. You know, we wanted to open a brewery, wanted to be in JP. We didn't want to open a place in the Burbs and have to drive out there all the time. We were looking for something that was going to be a brewery and tap room and kind of community space. Yeah. Uh, initially, we talked about the idea of the second space kind of tap room model where we're not really a bar, but we're also not your living room. You know, it's like a place you can go and hang out. Uh, so making the brewery happen in JP was a big part of our vision plan. Yeah. Um, and then the fact that John and I found this space and it was so close to our home was really sheer dumb luck. Like we had been looking for three months for a commercial space anywhere. And um, just none were up for rental. There just wasn't any. And then finding the space was just sheer dumb luck. Um, that, you know, in an industrial zone so that we didn't have to get any zoning variances to open up a brewery. Nice. Um, you know, we, the only thing we had to do is go to a community board and ask if we could have an outdoor patio. But yeah. like, we didn't have to like get variances. We didn't do anything strange on construction. Everything was built as of right, um, and it was already kind of like this. We have uh, what was built as an oil depot, auto garage in the back. There was a weird uh, two-story building in the front, and then when the tap room we're sitting in right now is new construction, literally just two walls and a roof because it already connected to what was there. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you know, at the time, it seemed like people couldn't get enough of small local breweries. And I think that was probably kind of a correction from Prohibition still, that local breweries were where people got their beer from for so long. And the idea that you needed a number of small breweries that people could go to still ma makes sense. It still makes sense. Even post-pandemic, it's kind of, we're kind of thinking about that. Do we need to have, you know, a one brewery per thousand people kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but Boston is underserved in breweries. I mean, even in the city of Boston, there might be half a dozen actual breweries making beer. And of all of those breweries, we are the only one that is, um, in addition, I guess, to Sam Adams, which I'm kind of ignoring slash weird, talking around because yes. it's a little weird. <laughs> they, they make great beer there, but it's not set up as a production brewery. Like, we are set up as a small production brewery. Right, We're not right. a three-barrel uh um, pilot system. Tap pilot system. Yeah. We're not a, even a seven or eight barrel. Just, and, you know, we're not a, Boston is the only city where you can't get liquor licenses easily. Um, yeah. The state issues, in, in Massachusetts, it's very strange. Like, yep. the state issues liquor licenses to the city of Boston that it can then give out. And the state does not like to issue liquor licenses. So you can't actually get a liquor license in Boston unless you have half a million dollars to burn. Right. right. Um, but if you get a brewery permit that is a state level license and then you could serve beer. Um, so you have places that will put a literal homebrew kit in the corner yep. and get a brewery license and then they can serve beer. But we actually sized it to be a production brewery because it's my background. I'm, um, I was never a home brewer, for example. I, I, the idea of working for six hours to make half a gallon of beer <laughs> when I can work for six hours and make a thousand gallons of beer doesn't make any sense yeah. to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So uh, what are you brewing on here then? Wait, sorry again? What are you brewing on here? Oh, here? Or how many, yeah, how many barrels? Oh, um, 2019, and so you have to throw 2020. Yes, it's yes. a weird wrench, right? <laughs> 2019, we did about 750 barrels of beer. Nice. Wow. Um, in 2020, we were down a, maybe about 150 barrels. Yeah. But we were doing some brewing in 2019 for Provincetown Brewing. Oh, uh, okay. Uh, cool. Chris Hartley is the owner there. He's fantastic. Uh, designed some really good beers. If you're ever out in P-Town, go check him out. Go yeah. check out his space, which is just lovely and a great place, uh, great scene. 
and has some of the most uplifting uh, bathroom graffiti you'll ever see in your life. It's <laughs> one of the, the, Noted. <laughs> yeah, it's very strange. I mean, obviously, P-Town, and you don't go there when you're in a bad mood, but right, like, right. he actually leaves chalk, and it's all chalkboard paint in the bathrooms, and you go, and it's like yes. the most, like, you walk out thinking, I'm in a better mood. <laughs> but anyway, P-Town Brewing is also great. We used to brew beer for him. He's now um, gotten too big for us. Um, yeah. Because we've also gotten too big, so we can't fit him in. So he's going with Dorchester Brewing, another fantastic brewery. Um, I guess Dorchester's uh, production, but they had a contract model, and they are only opening up when we did. Sorry, I didn't mean to leave them out. So, but we are, um, in 2020, I think we did about 650 barrels. And, cool. But only some of that was our loss, because a lot of that was for Chris. And we are on target to hit that 750 this year. Nice. Um, unless we have a killer end of summer. I mean, it's been so hot recently, it's kind of hard to tell. But mm -hmm. if we hit 800 or 850, we're going to be really happy this year, and then go with that consistent growth yeah. in the yep. future. That's awesome. So talking about your beer, um, what did you what beers did you start with, and what are you brewing today? Um, we actually are starting with our original beer, or okay. we're brewing our original beer. So cool. uh, Nick's Bitter is a American style special bitter, for lack of a better descriptor. Um, I don't love brewing to uh, beer judging guidelines typically. Yeah. Um, and but this is so this is kind of like you take the special bitter guidelines and then you kind of tweak it to make it American, so to speak. So it's um a uh, all-English malt. The, our house yeast is a uh, kind of London Times derivative, and, but we're using American hops because the British hops tend to be a little bit on the cheesy, earthy side. Right. And yeah, so yeah, if yeah. you use straight-up Cascade, you're going to get that much crisper, pinier sort of stuff. Yeah. For sure. Um, what other... You mentioned the next bitter, but what else are you... What are you guys known for? Uh, our biggest beer by far is Orange Line. It is our New England IPA. Mm -hmm. And it is... You know, low sevens, New England style. Uh, it is Citra and Bravo and Calypso are the dry hops, super juicy. Um, we named it obviously after the subway, the orange line, um, but it's also a power of suggestion. You say something, is the orange line, people are like, oh, it tastes like orange juice, which it kind of does, actually. Um, I have been made fun of by other brewers that they joke that I shouldn't call it a New England style IPA, I should call it a New English style IPA because it's very much more akin to English IPAs. Yeah in its malt body, it's not particularly pale, and it's not, doesn't look like you're drinking a milkshake. It's <laughs> kind of bright, vibrant, orange, amber hue, nice. um, and it's very hazy. Um, the oats very much do that, and uh, the, it does have a little bit of bitterness, unlike most New England IPAs, which are just no bitterness at all, just juice ball. Juice ball. Yeah, yeah. So I know me personally, when I've been here before, I love your, I think it's called a swashbuckler. The squashbuckle. Squ yeah, that's, that's great in the fall. So that is our, it's an imperial porter. It's about 10 and a half, 10.7% alcohol. Yeah. Um, that actually has a long story because I love long stories, yeah. as you can tell. <laughs> um, it is made with um, local organic baking squashes, some butternut, some just baking pumpkins and that sort of thing. Um, molasses, brown sugar, allspice, nutmeg, clove, ginger, cinnamon. Um, it is a beer that I have brewed now at three of the four breweries I've worked oh, at. Um, in <laughs> fact, the, uh, when I was at St. Arnold in Houston, uh, the first beer I was allowed to design was, um, they had a limited, limited release series called Divine Reserve. Mm -hmm. And the number nine, which mine, was um, an Imperial Pumpkin. We called it an Imperial Pumpkin Stout. Um, yeah. 
uh, but yeah, it's basically the same beer. I just, nice. I, that was my first commercial beer. And it's actually one of St. Arnold's best limited release beers that they have. They like, still release that too, right? <laughs> still, yeah, they they still, re-release yeah. it. It's Pumpkinator now. Pumpkinator, yeah. And yeah. it is, uh, has a really deep following in Texas for some reason. People love it. Um, and they, uh, and I made it there. I made it at Harpoon as a limited release once. And then I make it here. And I was going to say, I, my guess, I said in my head, I was like, I didn't think I, I was, was going to say, I, gonna say I'm, I'm so gonna shocked you brewed it at Harpoon. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it was very limited release. Yeah. Um, and that was also one of those kind of funny stories where they said, um, Hey, we, ha- we did a, they did a pumpkin beer at one point because everyone did a pumpkin beer right, at one point right. and they had, cause Harpoon's such a huge brewery. We have a hundred or a one, I think it, they're the 55 gallon drum. We have a 55 gallon drum unopened of aseptic pumpkin puree. Does anyone have a pumpkin beer recipe they want to try? Oh, you were like, yeah. I do. <laughs> like, pick me, pick me. I, I have one. And so I, you know, I, I just kept, I, when I recreated this beer, I, I have all my handwritten notes from the original like test yeah. brew at St. Arnold. So I just pull those out and I kind of transferred into the, the brew sheet that works on the system I'm working with. Yeah. And that's how this one came around. And the name Squash Buckle is just a bad pun. And we put some extra umlauts in there right. for fun. But the name of the farmer who grew the squash is named Jim Buckle. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yep. And squash so buckle. Yeah. Squash Buckle. And then I found something that's like the phonetic spelling of squash is S-K-W umlaut A. SH. So, <laughs> so. You have fun with that. Yeah. Nice, nice. Umlauts. It's a brewery. You have to do it. <laughs> have to do it. We're not even that metal of a brewery, but no, you know, no. extra umlauts. Why not? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of the tap space, you have the outside uh, yep. beer area. Um, food to go here, or what's the, what's the deal? Well, one of the advantages of 2020 is we did start doing food. That's one way our business model has changed yep. a little bit. We did not ever want to do food at all. I don't blame you. Um, you know, yeah. having a kitchen is a weird thing. I am not a chef. I don't have restaurant experience. Um, and you lose money on food typically, but with the governor's order of requiring to have food, we did what everyone else did. We got a steamer tray and we got a panini grill. We yep. started doing fancy grilled cheese, regular grilled cheese and hot dogs. Um, we are transitioning over to fancier grilled cheeses now because we have all this stuff. Even fancier. Even fancier. So now we're going to be doing, we're no longer going to be doing just the basic like Wonder Bread and Sliced American, um, but we are going to do a number of things like grilled chicken and um, roasted red peppers and I think a a fig spread and and like kind of a, we have suggested sandwiches or a make your own kind of thing. Oh, cool. And we've upgraded from the typical, I think the number eight size Nathan's hot dogs to the number five size. Oh, those are good ones. I like those. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, So Turtle Swamp, you have the, the expanded, you have the two locations now. Um, What's next for growth for you guys? Um, We are, we, still doing self-distribution. We have about 80 um, package stores. Uh, the bar accounts we had have not quite come back yet. So they will. They hoping, will. Yeah, uh, yeah, 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 we, you know, it, in a long enough timeline, things will return to normal. And so we are yeah. you know, starting to see a little more draft pickups. So we're hoping to do that growth. We are looking into uh, extending our distribution either through a distributor or just hiring another guy and getting another truck. We're not really sure what's going to happen with that yet, but we hope to um, just continue to grow. Our, our, our off-premise sales, which is say like what we sell to package stores and retailers and that sort of stuff, uh, has almost tripled in two years. Uh, you know, again, the pandemic had a lot to do with that when we were selling a lot of beer out of the door here and mm-hmm. draft here, and then we suddenly couldn't. 
we really picked up on that. And so the, the amount of just volume and dollars, it's just really yeah. increased a lot. And we hope to keep that going. Obviously, you can't expect to triple every single year. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be great, but you don't really do it that way. But you know, yeah. we're, we're hoping to grow that. Um, and the model has always been, we want to have not meteoric growth, but really just we grow over time as we build relationships. It's all, yeah. you know, it's a less about... Um, how fast we can make as much money as possible. You know, if I wanted to make a lot of money, I would not have gone to beer. I would have not have <laughs> um, dumped as much of my own money into this place where John has right, dumped money, like, right. you know, extra mortgages on houses kind of thing to exactly. start up a brewery, uh, you know, because they don't just hand out loans to anyone. <laughs> and, you know, it's just really the two of us. We are the owners. We put the money in um, and some friends and family, and that's it. And yeah. that because we're small, we don't want to grow quickly and then all of a sudden burn out. So yeah. we want very consistent growth built on kind of personal relationships that we have with the retailers, that we have with the individual package stores even. Yeah. Definitely. Um, if you were to change anything that you did, would you have bought in the same brew system you bought, or did you wish you bought a bigger brew system, canning line? If a brewer ever tells you he wanted to buy a smaller brew system, he's lying. Yeah. <laughs> um, so obviously I'd like a bigger brew system even now, but um, we were looking either a 15 or a 20 barrel, and we ended up with a 15, and um, which will probably be actually really appropriate. Uh, you know, the, the way you can scale a 15 is a little more flexible than 20 due to various, mm -hmm. you know, factors, particularly like we are still using Ironheart for our canning runs, okay. um, who have been fantastic to us. Again, if I have to give a shout out to another brewing company, it'd be whoop, whoop. that's a business that grew like 4,000% during the pandemic. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> they, I, they had grown 4,000% before the pandemic no, and they were weirdly ready for it. It was, uh, and they, they were great throughout the pandemic. They've been really good to us. So we really appreciate what they've been doing. And if we had a 20 barrel system, we'd actually be just a little too big oh, um, to, to make the runs work efficiently. Yeah. And what they can do in a day yeah. um, works really well with uh, doing 30 barrel tanks. And once you get up to like 40 barrel tanks, you're, you're kind of running into issues with timing. Yep. Gotcha. Um, so it actually worked out really well. And also you size the space you have, you know, I can fit 30 barrel tanks in really easily. I might be able to fit 45 barrel tanks and do triple batches, but uh, once you get to a 60, it's kind of weird. weird yeah. 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 Definitely. Definitely. So when it comes to brewing, do you have a favorite ingredient? Uh, I love Marisauter as a base malt. Nice. Um, nice. And it's again, the new English brewing kind of style the new yeah. english ipa <laughs> i just really love the character the, the very like you talk about uh british beers being kind of toasty but it's mm -hmm. really just like bready it's yeah. just, just yeah. very bready and earthy in a way that you don't get off of basic two row um and that you don't get in other kind of uh especially barleys but like i just like all the maris otters yeah. and so cool any frustrations in the beer community um you've been in it for a while so I almost want to plead the fifth on that one. You know, yeah. you, you don't want to knock people. Uh, uh, I will say, and actually, uh, I did a barley wine this year for the first time, and I thought come out came out really well. The, the, it was, it was, the names are jokes sometimes, right? So we have Nick's Bitter and the, the subtitles, but never angry. And then the name of the barley wine was Now You've Done It, Nick's Angry. Yeah. And, um, and the, the canned copy had this too, but it's the idea that this beer is what happens when you tell it that there's a beer made with um, salad dressing. And there is a beer that is a ranch dressing right. beer. And <laughs> that you tell it. You I know, know where you're going. Yeah. And, you know, like when you have beers which are, we use the best marshmallows, gummy worms, and sour patch yeah. kids in this. And you're like, really? You, why don't you just add sugar and citric acid? Because that's what it is. That's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. And then you're not paying 
$50 a pound for candy, you're paying right. $3 a pound for sugar and citric acid. And then your consumers are paying $25 for a four-pack. And they do. <laughs> yeah, I know. And I'm not going to tell the consumers they're wrong. <laughs> no, I know. But I will tell them that uh, I don't understand you. Maybe I'm yeah. old. I'm old. Yeah. I actually yeah, learned right. a term yesterday. <laughs> I am a geriatric millennial. That's the generation I am. Oh, that's a good one. That's <laughs> yeah. I like it's, that. It's the, like the, that. the 80s to 85. Um, you know, I, I'm not really a millennial, but I'm not really a Gen X either. Yeah. Um, so what it means is that you got a computer when you were a child, but you weren't born with a computer. Right. Interesting. So like I had an Apple II GS. Wasn't I cool? I had a <laughs> dot matrix printer. <laughs> yes. That is cool. <laughs> but yeah, I don't under, I'm old though. I don't understand kids these days and they're yeah. darn kids. They're, they're gigaws and they're <laughs> Tower Patch Kid. I mean, I also understand why people like those beers. I actually even like the really ridiculous New England IPAs, which are just chunky and hazy and uh, huge. And um, I found out the other day, I was talking to another brewer friend of mine who will remain nameless, um, who did some alkalizer tests on like some of the really big hazy, hazy, hazy milkshake IPAs. And they are, one of the reasons why people like them is that there are somewhere between three and 600 calories oh, of course. in a pint. Yeah. yeah. And what are you drinking but a 9% alcohol, 600 calorie beer, which is primarily unfermented sugars. Yeah. So Yum. yes, people are going to love those beers. <laughs> They're drinking a milkshake, yeah. right. literally. Yeah. Right. Oh, no. Yeah. I'm glad. I don't really drink those beers. I drink them. So, so when you pound yeah, that yeah. four pack coming home from, you know, oh a beer or a brewery that might be in central Massachusetts or one that might be in Vermont, yeah. you know, yeah, you just drank your entire caloric intake a for the whole day, day. Yeah. with that four pack. And, and you waited in line for it. And you also probably <laughs> ate a bunch of fried food to go with it. Yeah. Right. Definitely. Mm, yeah. Solid. In central Mass <laughs> or Vermont. <laughs> It's all right. We trash. We, we, there, we, we, we say very similar messages. So That being said, the beer is really, really yeah. tasty. Yeah, exactly. It is, it is exactly. so good. It is. Um, so more importantly, we want people to come to Turtle Swamp. We want people to come here, enjoy the space. Where mm -hmm. are you physically located? So we are in Jamaica Plain in the city of Boston. We're at 3377 Washington Street. We are about a five-minute walk from the Green Street stop on the Orange Line. Um, we are also in Rosendale Square. We are at the Rosendale substation, which is 4228 Washington Street. So we're actually literally just two miles down Washington Street there. Um, if you are familiar with Rosendale Square, we are on uh, Adams Park, which is that bow-shaped green space right in the middle of Rosendale. Looking out, we have an amazing picture window looking out at that park. I often, um, particularly in the winter, even on days that we're not open, if it's a blizzard, I will go down there and just sit in the window yeah. and enjoy the snow falling. Yeah. I do have to compliment you guys. Uh, you have a very knowledgeable staff here. Um, I think every time I've yeah. come here, it's been awesome to just experience the tap room. I have to really give a shout out to um, uh, Rebecca Carpenter, our tap room manager. Mm -hmm. She's sitting over here diligently doing work. We really appreciate her. <laughs> yeah. She has been a uh, amazing, amazing person to have working for us uh, and is good at just keeping everything organized, keeping the staff um, doing their jobs well, but also like her uh, breadth of knowledge about beer and the amount she works at it has been really, really helpful. And she's really good at making sure everyone else knows it too. Okay. Right? Like knows how to <laughs> teach people. Yeah. So. And the beer here is phenomenal. So Thank you. Yeah. So you guys are doing great things and we really appreciate okay. the community brewery. And uh, it's, it's refreshing to hear that it's, you know, two people, you can talk with the owners and, and see who they are and, and 
you know, it's 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 nice. It is. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. The way you've grown too, like this new space. I remember we'd come and we'd sit in the brewery, kind of. We opened. And this with, is beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> kegerator. We literally bought. $150 refrigerators and convert them yeah, to kegerators. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I remember that. Yeah. That was a amazing. All of kegerators <laughs> in the brewery space. And then uh, we moved the, the kegerators into our taproom space. And then we finally got our bar built. And then yeah. um, we, and for a while, we had a, a refrigerator next to the bar for to go right. sales. So, right. again, it's weird things <laughs> that the pandemic has done in that we had to really like change our layout to the way we wanted to always do it, but never had the impetus to do so. So now we have yeah. a front building, which is the retail space and the to-go space. Yep. And we opened up the tap room. We can fit, you know, 30 people sitting in our tap room. But whereas before, if you came in when we had the keg yeah. fit, like five. Yeah, yes. right. You know. Exactly. And you got these beautiful bay doors now and this amazing patio. It's, it's really grown and changed in yeah. amazing ways. Yeah. Well, so, congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. And uh, we're glad to be interviewing you today. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad we made this happen. Yeah. And lastly, I would like to ask, uh, what would you like to learn more about? What would I like to learn more about? I mean, if we could come up with all the, the solutions to the problems of general relativity, we could actually understand the universe. It'd be great. <laughs> um, that might be a little beyond all of our scope right now. Um, I like that you think big, though. Uh, yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah. String theory is one of those things where I understand there are little microscopic strings like vibrating, but I'd like to understand that, but that won't really help with beer. Um, <laughs> in terms of beer, I would really like to understand um, and learn more about, I mean, oh, we all want to know like what the next big thing is. It's mm-hmm. going to be an IPA, so I don't have to even ask, you know, but yes. like, um, <laughs> come on, I was hoping lagers and pilsners. <laughs> I mean, lagers and more pilsners are going to be the next thing, and they have been for the last 20 years. Yeah. They're always floating on the background. Um, yeah, I think I would like to know what is it about um, just like the next beer that we don't even know what it's going to be that everyone's going to really want, that people are going to want? And I don't necessarily want to know that so I can be ahead of the trend. I just want to know what it is that people are going to look for that they don't even know they're going to be looking for yet. Yeah, what don't we have now that people are going to want? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. That's a good answer. Yeah. That's a really that's good answer. You know, and again, I if I can get ahead of it, great, but also like, you know, when I realized how many calories like these big New England IPAs had, I was like, oh. It all makes sense. It all makes There's sense. A reason, and right? and I, I want to understand that more yeah. than I actually want to make that beer or even drink another one. Be like that connection, that, yeah. that like, logical connection of like, oh, I understand what's going on here is what I'm really looking for. Someone needs to make a diet, one of those. I'm just kidding. That'd be even worse. Well, with people. seltzers and lagers and things coming out, you're kind of trending yeah. towards that, right? Yeah. So. And I understand seltzers too. Like people really like the the kind of that fruity citric flavor, and they want to get drunk or they want to get a buzz, but yeah. they don't necessarily want to drink this huge thing. Six hundred yeah. calories per. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Well, thank you, Nick, for doing this today. Yeah, thank, thank you, guys. You. And uh, cheers. Cheers. Well, we made it to Ryan's favorite, or should we say least favorite portion of the podcast? Least favorite. But it's your favorite because we get to announce next week's guest. That's true. That means we're like on a path and like we have a schedule. That's right. That makes me feel a lot better inside. We definitely have a schedule. It's on our Instagram. But Ryan, who are we interviewing next week? So we got Mel from Night Shift, Britt from Remnant, and uh, Colleen from Exhibit A. That's right. They're going to be talking about their Pink Boots Scholarship for Women in Leadership from Cornell University. And it's a really fun conversation that we had. And it pertains to all aspects of work, not just brewing, because it tells you how to be a good leader. Exactly. I like. I definitely pulled a few things um, away from it um, as like a leader in what I do, um, and just things to keep you know in the back of my head 
So I, I, I thought it was a great episode. Definitely very informative. And plus, we drank a bunch of beer afterwards at Notch afterwards. So it was amazing. A lot of good memories. So until next week, cheers. cheers.